Today's daf Masech Saita is daf Gimel. We're starting the top of Gimel Amad Aleph at the fourth line on the page. As is Hashem, we're going to go through a few Agarita Gemaras to start regarding the word Va'avar, I love Ruach Kina. Avar and Ruach, we'll see different drushes in regards, regards to that. We'll move on then to discuss three different arguments between Rabbi Yishmael and Rabbi Akiva. For Rabbi Yishmael posits that a mitzvah is a rishos. Rabbi Akiva says they're chayvas, and we're going to go through each one and understand why those specific cases there is such debates. We're going to move on to the third point of the day, which is going to be a series of Agatha Gemurs relating to Kedusha Sisroel, marriages and general Kedusha, and then we'll finish off the day based on the Mishnah on Laman Aleph Mud Aleph, which is going to be the beginning of the sixth parak, I believe, which will be a discussion again of Eidos uh, Arishona and Achrona, which really means the Eidos of Stira and the Eidos of Toma. So, Be'ezer Hashem, let's get started here. Fourth line on, on Gimel Amud Aleph. Says the Gemara, Tanya, the Brisa teaches, a person performs a sin in private, and a Kaddish Baruch Hu will announce it in public. Because in the parish of Saita, the Torah tells us, A spirit of jealousy passes over the husband and he warns his wife. And the word avar is also a language of, the, of proclamation, of declaring. Because it means a language of Proclamation Shemar and Vayakil when it says Moshe told them to stop donating for the Mishkan, that his voice passed amongst the camp. So similarly, is to say her Avera becomes public knowledge and similar with people who sin in general. A person will only sin if a spirit of foolishness Temporary insanity comes over him. Shinamar again, because by Saita it says, Ish ish ki siste ishtoi. Siste means she shall stray. But the way we explain it is if it's with the shin, it's ki tishte ksiv. As if it's written, she'll become foolish. In order to sin, there's a certain temporary insanity that grips a person. Why does the Torah trust one witness when it comes to Saita? Now remember, it's one witness after a kinoyan stira, like we learned yesterday. And the answer is because there's a basis for the matter. And this really connects us to Nazir, the last Masechta. Shari Kinolav and Istira, because there was already Kinoi witnesses on warning, and there was already witnesses on seclusion. And then one witness shows up and says she was Metame, so therefore an Eidechad is believed. Asks the Gemara, the problem is, you look through the Psukim. It says stira and toma, and then it says va'avar alav ruach kina. So kino is only listed afterwards. So how can you say aglaim ladavar is based on a kino if the kino is only written after? Amar lei. So Abayi responded to Rav Papa va'avar. The word va'avar alav ruach kina means v'kfar avar. It already had passed over him. It means he already had warned her, even though it's written out of order. But it means va'avar is v'kfar avar. He already warned her. So va'avar we're interpreting now to mean on the past. Elameyata, the Gemara says, is that possible? But in Matos, when, a, when Moshe Rabbeinu makes the Bnei God and Reuven say they're going to go fight and then they'll take their land in Transjordan, the eastern side of the Yardin, when it says in the Pasuk, all the soldiers will pass over Hachinami, is it possible to also understand that's going in the past? Certainly it's not going in the past because the Pasuk there is saying in the future you're going to go fight and then you'll come back and take Transjordan. So how can you understand Va'avar by Saita that way? So the Gemara answers, Rapapa responded to Abaye. Um, excuse me, so 
That was that was uh, a Pumpus challenge to Abayi. So Abayi responded, Hasam, really the word va'avar has dual implication. It could mean in the future, or it could mean in the past. Based on the context, we're able to determine which one it is. Hasam, in the case of Bnei Gad and Reuven agreeing to go and fight in the western side of the yard and then come back to the east, Meidich, save the fact that the Torah says, there v'nich Hashem. The land will be conquered in front of Hashem. Ve'achar tashuvu, and then afterwards they'll go back to their own land. So Mashmid la'abak, clearly va'avar over there is in the future. We're talking about the Kinoi. It can't be going in the future because Isal Kadaitach Kedechsivi adds in the Bach Venistra Vihinitma. If you want to read it like the simple Pshat, Stira and then Tuma, and then Vaavar Basar Tuma Vistira, Vaavar would be after Tuma and Stira. So the Kinoi Lamali, what's the purpose of the Kinoi? Elamat must be Vaavar is Vikvaravar, meaning he did Kinoi, he did Stira, and then there was Tuma, and that's why Tuma is effective even with only one witness. Continues the Gemara Tanah Dvir Yishmol. You know the Mekanel Yishdom Kinech Nesavar Ruach. A person does not warn his wife unless a spirit enters him. What does it mean a spirit? Rashi learns a spirit mimarum from above. Shneemar because the pasuk says it's like a spirit of inspiration. Shneemar vaover alav Ruach Kina the Kinech Yishdom a Ruach enters him and he warns his wife because of her immoral behavior. So my Ruach, what is it referring to? Rabbanan Ami Ruach Tomer. Rabbanan says it's an inappropriate Ruach. It's like some negative force puts in him to warn her. This probably goes like those sheetas earlier we said, who is Asr Lakanis, that's to warn your wife. Ravashi Yama Ruach Tahara, no, it's an appropriate thing, Rashi says, because he's Sonyas Apritza, so he's warning her. Mistavra Kamad Amarach Tahara, it's logical, like the opinion who says Ruach Tahara, like Ravashi, Ketani, because the next Gemara we're about to start says, the Kineas Ishta, the Bryce is going to teach us when it says he warns his wife, it's a Machlaikis, what is that? idea. Rishos Div Rabbi Yishmael. Rabbi Yishmael says it's an allowance to warn your wife, but you're not obligated to should you suspect something. Rabbi Akiva, Chayva, Rabbi Akiva says you're obligated to warn your wife, but like Rav Ashiyu says that the Ruach we're discussing is a appropriate Ruach because so Shapir, it makes sense that there's a debate just, is it something that's voluntary or obligatory? But if it's an inappropriate type of warning, and you're bringing some sort of a negative thing, hatred, you could say like the earlier Gemara, so, would it be a machlaikis if it's voluntary or obligatory to bring some sort of a negative ruach into a person? Obviously, it goes like the opinion who says it's a ruach tahara. Okay, so this brings us to our next sugya now. Second point of the day, we're going to have th- three different arguments between Rabbi Yishmol and Rabbi Akiva if something is voluntary or it's obligatory. Gufa, so this is what we just quoted. The Kinesh Ishto, it says the husband warns his wife when he suspects her of infidelity. Rishos Devir Rabbi Yishmol, so it's voluntary. He doesn't have to, he's allowed to. Rabbi Akiva, Emer Chayv, no, he has to warn his wife. Number two, Emor, when it talks about Kohanim not becoming Tameh, there are the immediate seven relatives who... <coughs> <coughs> who he is allowed to become Tamei to, and it says, the, one of them at the end is, Absula Love. It says his uh, virgin unmarried sister, who was close with him. And then the Pasuk says, Tamba. To her he shall become Tamei. Now it means all of them, it's just emphasizing her. But on this there's also Machlekes. Rabbi Yishmael says, the Kohen is allowed to become Tamei to his relatives, but it's not obligatory. Rabbi Kiva says, no, actually, he's obligated to become Tamei to those immediate relatives. And finally, third Machlekes is, it says in Bahar about Avadim Kinanim, 
that forever they shall be in servitude. Rishos Tiver It's voluntary, meaning you're allowed to free them. You're not obligated to keep them forever, but you're allowed to keep them forever as well. No, you have to keep them forever as always. You cannot free them. It's usher to free them. And some say turned to Rava, and he said, It would imply that they debate the same basis the entire Torah. Demar Amar Bishmal says, The entire Torah is voluntary. And Rabbi Kiva says it's obligatory. So Rashi explains really what the Shaila is, is, is it possible that we can interpret, these are just three arguments, but really it applies elsewhere, and Rabbi Yishmael would hold the entire Torah, mitzvah saseh, are voluntary? Very difficult to imagine that. So Amar so he responded, either it was uh, Abaye, or Rava responded, Hacha, Amar Leh, no, he said, no. Hacha b'kray pligi. Really, in the general Torah, when there's a mitzvah saseh, so l'chayra, we have obligatory mitzvah saseh agreed across the board. There are some mitzvahs kiyumis happens to be, like, for example, a tzitzis. But in general, that's not the general machlekes. These three have a specific reason that they debate, as we'll show with each example now, based on the psukim that discuss them. So let's go through them. Let's start with number one. When the Torah tells us he warns his wife. So the way we interpret that is, he says, it's an allowance. You could warn your wife. Rabbi Kiva says that it's obligatory. My time is Rabbi Yishmael. Why does he say it's voluntary to warn your wife? He holds the following b'risa. Since the Torah in Kedoshim tells us, you're not allowed to harbor enmity against your brother in your heart. So perhaps you can't warn your wife because it will create enmity like we learned earlier. Therefore, the Torah goes out of its way to say, warn your wife. He will pass a spirit of jealousy over him. He will warn his wife. But really what the Torah is telling us is, is you're allowed to warn your wife, but not that you're obligated to. Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva responds to that. If you look in the parasha of Saita, it says he warns his wife and she'll be Tameya, and then it says he warns his wife and she's not Tameya. So why does it say it twice? Emphasizing the fact that it's not just voluntary, but you're obligated to. Rabbi Yishmael, Rabbi Yishmael responds, Since the Torah has to emphasize a different principle, which is, she is Tmeya, she's not Tmeya, that's the two different psukim, which teaches us that a suffix Tumah is treated like Vade Tumah until proven otherwise, which is a Chirush, so Ksiv Nami Vikineas Ishto. That's why it reiterates Vikineas Ishtoi. Lichidetanet Verabi Yishmael, like Rabbi Yishmael teaches himself in a Brise, the Tanet Verabi Yishmael, called Parshish and Emrav Anishnis, any Parsha that is said and repeated a second time, it could be it's repeated because of something that is new in it. In this case, it's this idea that a suffix is like a Vadai, therefore it could be it reiterates the idea of kinoi, not necessarily to emphasize, though, that it's a chayva. Let's move on to the second machlaikis. Layitam arishos, the Torah tells us in Parshas Emor that the coin becomes tummy to his relative, and that's a rishos div Rabbi Yishmael, it's voluntary. Rabbi Kiva Marchayva, Rabbi Kiva says it's obligated to. My time is Rabbi Yishmael, why does he say it's only voluntary? I did this because since the Torah and Emor also tells us, Emor la and b'nei'arn v'amart alem l'nevishalayitam b'amav, that coin are not to become tummy to general population. So it's Therefore it needs to say that they could become tummy to their relatives, but not to say they're obligated to, just that they're allowed to. It's a rishos. Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva responds to that, the fact that it's a rishos is derived from it says only to his immediate relatives, uh, which is the very next Pasuk. That's how I would know, excuse me, that it's a Rishus, that he's allowed to become Tami to his immediate relatives. So, why does it have to also emphasize to her and to the other relatives he's allowed to become Tami a second time? L'chayva, that's to teach us that actually you're obligated to and the coin cannot get out of becoming Tami to those seven relatives. 
Rabbi Yishmael responds to that, Lo mitama ve'emitama le'evaras. Rabbi Yishmael responds and says, Enochinami, when it says lo itama, what are we learning from that really? We learn that he's only allowed to become tami to the relative who passes away, but actually we learned this in Nazir. He's not allowed to become tami. A coin cannot become contaminated to a limb that was removed, either from the mace or from a live relative of his. That there's no allowance for to malo itama, only to her in her intactness, not to a limb. And therefore, Ki'im L'Shera would now teach us that it's a rishus for her to be, for him to become tummy to his immediate relatives. Turning to Gimelam with Be'ez, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva responds to that, Im Kain, if it was only for that drasha of Evarim, that you can't become tummy to the limbs, Lecht of Rachman Allah, it could have just said La. Vilishto can stop there. Yitama Lamali, why does it also say Yitama? The second word, Shmamina. We see another drasha, which is that it says l'she'ero, it also says yitame, to teach me twice that it's actually an obligation to become tami to the immediate relatives. Rabbi Yishmael, Rabbi Yishmael responds, like he said before, I need a kasav la. Since it had to say la to teach us the drasha that he can become tami to our relatives, kasav nami yitama, it also wrote yitama, even though it's not to emphasize that it's an obligation for him to come tamilach the tani verbi shmal, like Rabbi Shmal Tat, the Tani Verbi Shmal, Kaparshlashin and Avanishnis, any parsha that is said and repeated a second time, Lanishnis Elabashfield Avishnis Khadishba could be only repeated in order to say some sort of a chiddush, but the extra emphasis is not to imply it's a chayva, rather it's just to teach us it's a rishos. Okay, Machlaik is number three. We said that you're supposed to keep your avadim kinanim forever. Now we know that Allah was when the Jews entered Eretz Yisrael, there was a rule that they would tell all the seven nations to either leave the land or the mitzvah of Lesechai called Neshama would kick in and they'd have to wipe them out. And then the Torah tells us you keep the Avadim Kenanim as slaves. So really Avadim Kenanim is a bit of a misnomer. Kenanim is just the way we refer to slaves but it means people from outside of Kenan can be kept as Avadim. Avadim Kenanim, non-Jewish slaves. However, we're going to see here, there seems to be, if it's a half Kenani, meaning one of the parents was, you'll be also allowed to keep that, and this is going to be important for the debate. So the Pasuk tells, that Rishmal said, you can keep the Evet Kenani as a slave forever, but you could also free them. No, you have to keep them forever. My time, Rabbi Yishmael, why does he say you're only allowed to keep them forever? So he answers, I did since the Torah says you have to wipe out all of the Kenanim, you can't keep them. It's It needs to say to teach us that if the father was not a Kenani, let's say the father was Italian, the mother was a ben, and they birthed the child, you'd be allowed to keep that child as an Evet Kenani, as Tysus points out over here, that by the non-Jews we follow the father's Yichus and not the mother's. The Tanya and the Brisa illustrates this. How do you know if the father was one of the other nations and the mother was a Kenanis and they birthed the child? You're allowed to keep it as an Evid. Therefore, in Bahar, it says, It says, From those who dwell amongst you, the strangers, you shall keep them. Now, before that, the Pasuk says, You can have Avadim from outside of Eretz Yisrael, Avadim Kenanim. And then it says, that From them you shall purchase. You might think even if the father is a Kanani and the mother is not a Kanani, you can keep the child as an Evid. 
Therefore, it says those that are born in your land, and the way we expound the pasuk is Generally, the father would travel to where the mother was. So only those that are born in your land, i.e., the father was from afar, mother was from Canaan, that child you're allowed to keep as an evid Kenani. But not those that were born elsewhere because the father was a Kenani, had a child with a non-Kenani woman outside of Eretz Canaan, and the child resettled in Canaan. Those would be problematic. So therefore, what the Gemara is saying is the pasuk is emphasizing that it's a rishus. You could keep them because in general you would actually have to, if it was a full kanani, you wouldn't have this allowance. This is an allowance, but you could also free them if you want. Rabbi Akiva, Mehem Tiknu Nafka. Rabbi Akiva learns that drasha from Mehem Tiknu. So why does it have to emphasize again? It's an obligation to keep them forever. Rabbi Yishmael, Bahem Rabbi Yishmael says, no, the word Bahem Elam Bahem Ta'avaydu teaches us that you're only allowed to treat a slave with Avaydas Evid, with uh, menial labor, but not a Evid Ivri, not a Jewish slave. So therefore, Mehem Tiknu, that teaches us that you're allowed to keep an Evid Kanani forever, but not that you are obligated to. Rabbi Kiva says, I don't need Bahem to teach me that you can't treat Jews with menial labor, because it says, Yisrael, It says, your brothers that are Jewish, they're your Jewish brothers, uh, a man with his brother cannot uh, demean him with uh, backbreaking labor or demeaning labor. So therefore, the Gemara says, is you don't need Bahem for that. There's an extra Pasuk to teach us it's a Chayva. Rabbi Yishmael and Rabbi Yishmael responds like he said before. Once we have the pasuk of Achechem to teach me that you can't treat uh, your Jewish slaves with menial labor, in the same pasuk could wrote Bahem, but not to emphasize that it's a chova. Like it was only repeated for the one thing that was a chiddush. Even though there's extra words, you don't have to expound it necessarily. So in this context, it comes out that it's a rishos and not a chayva. Okay, let's move on. Third point of the day now. A couple of Agaratas relating to Kedush HaSisrael. Amr Avchizda. When there's nus in the house, means one of the partners is um, cheating and, and, and acting in, in a, in, uh, with infidelity. It's like a worm that consumes a sesame seed. It destroys the house. Similarly, anger in the house. Uh, one of the partners... Uh, it's like a worm that consumes the sesame seed, destroys the house. It's both true by the wife because she sustains the house. So if she's not around and she's busy with those things, it causes it to self-destruct. In regards to the man, it won't cause the self-destruction to the same degree. Before the Jewish people started to sin and act immoral. The Shechina used to rest with everybody. This is in the context of Kedush Yisroel, specifically in the war effort. Hashem, your God, will dwell amongst your camp, amongst you, literally amongst every Jew. But once they sinned, the Shechina left them. It You shouldn't see a matter of nakedness and then leave from uh, behind you. The point is, that's when the Shechina left and uh, we lost some Kedusha. Anybody that does one mitzvah in this world, it precedes him and goes in front of him to the next. As it says, Righteousness will go in front of you. Anyone does that one aver in this world, it envelops him and goes in front of him for the day of judgment. As it says in Eov, the way the um, 
path of their ways envelops them. Ya'alu betayu v'yavedu, it leads them to a wasteland and destroys them. And if, if he has relations with an inappropriate woman, specifically, it'll be bound to him like a dog. Shanemar, as it says, in Parshas Vayeshev, when it talks about Yosef and Eshes Potiphar, it says he didn't listen to her, to sleep with her, to lie with her, or to be with her. To lie with her in this world, in the next world as well. So there would be some ramifications in the next world that should be bound to him, thus emphasizing his embarrassment and shame in the next world as well. Last point of the day. Tanan. Tanan Asim. This is the Mishnah in Laman Aleph Man Aleph, beginning of the sixth parak. It says, Shahaya Bedin, we quoted it earlier. Uh, there should have been a Kalva Chaimer. Umaida Sarishain, we'll see this refers to the Edaman Stira. Shaina Sarta Isra Oilam, it doesn't prohibit her forever. She can get out of it by drinking Me Saita. Eina Miskayemis Papakas Mishnayim, but you need at least two. It's the opinion of Rabbi Yeshua. Edus Acharoina Shaisarta Isra Oilam. So the latter Edus, which refers to the Edam of Tuma. Shaisarta Isra Oilam, there's no way to get out of that. I mean, once she's usher with Tumah, there's no, she's usher to her husband, the Gamri. So you think logically you should at least need two witnesses for that too. Therefore, you have Eid Ein As we expounded earlier, Eid means two, and therefore you only have one, and still she's usher when it's based on already a Kiri and Stira. You can make the Kavachem the other way. If the latter Eid is, which is for Stira, uh, for Tuma, and it does prohibit her forever, and it is validated only with one witness. Which does not prohibit her forever, perhaps it should be uh, acceptable even with one witness. Therefore, we learn when it talks about the parsha of marriage, it says he finds a matter of nakedness amongst her. And elsewhere, it says, by Mominus. That a matter is rendered valid through two or three witnesses. So you see, just as over there, by you need two witnesses. by you need two witnesses. That's the Mishnah. What's going on over here? Do we derive that Edos of Stira needs two witnesses from Dover Dover? We learned earlier, Rabbi Yeshua says very clearly, it's learned from the exclusion, the mute of Tumah. You say, by Tumah you only need one, but not Kino, Kino needs two. And not by, and not by Stira, Stira requires two. It's from the mute, not from the Gzereshava. Yes, you're right. We have to amend the Mishnah a little bit. This is what it really means to say. The reason we know, the way we know that Stira requires two witnesses is It's the mute from how do we know Toma in general that you can't rely if you don't have Kinoi and Stira preceding it one witness is not sufficient so this is the general Shava. it says regarding Saita in Kiseitze Ervas Dover V'nemer lahalan by Momenes and Shoftim it says Alpishne Edim Alpishloish Edim Yakum Dover Ma Dover HaAmer lahalan just as by Momenes the Dover that it says over there Shnayim Afkan Edim Shnayim Afkan also by Saita two witnesses will be required for Stira Edim Shnayim Tan Rabban and the Brisa just concludes Ezu He Edus Rishayna what is the reference of Edus Rishayna here Zuedus Stira referring to witnesses of Stira Edus Acharayna Zuedus Tuma and the Edim of the Acharayin the latter one is referring to the Edim of Tuma as we explained above. Now we're stopping in the middle of the Brisa, but Ezra Shem will pick up, we're stopping the Gimel and Bez at the bottom of the page, we'll pick up with Daftal and Aleph, and it's a continuation of the Brisa of how long is this shear of Stira to prohibit her as a Saita. Ezra Shem will pick up tomorrow. Have a wonderful day.